This is 15 Minutes Of. I'm Dan Tebow. The world is a great place with good people doing awesome things. Welcome to 15 Minutes Of. I'm Dan Tebow, and today I have a really special guest, one of my oldest and closest friends, Tim Cahill. This show is about people with uncommon vocations or work lives. Tim has done so many different things. So I wanted to capture some of the highlights of your different careers and your philosophy on how you implemented those, either your business, political life, or your personal life. Welcome to the show, Tim. We're here in Sterling, Massachusetts, in the Fast Twitch Media Studio. Thank you for coming all the way out here. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. If it, we're going to be talking highlights, it'll probably be more like five minutes than 15, but uh, I'm game. <laughs> well, you know, my show is a little quirky in the sense that I tend to start my show by asking my guests three kind of odd questions, maybe questions that you wouldn't normally get in a conversation with somebody. So I'm going to start. Are you, uh, you up for that? Sure, sure. I'm up for anything. I've been trusting you since the seventh grade, Dan, okay, so we well, can go from there. Th- that's good 50 to hear. 50 years ago, that's when it and, all started. And you've been, you've been making a huge mistake but all that time. <laughs> but if you had to choose one animal to help you win a fight, which animal would you choose? I think um, maybe a hawk. A hawk. Especially if I'm pinned down. This guy's beat me up. The hawk just comes down, rips off a little scalp, uh, gives me a chance to recover. <laughs> I like hawks too, by the way. They're, they're kind of cool birds. Um, we have one in Maine where we go and he just perches up, you know, up on top of the hill and you yeah. can see him every now and then. you can almost hear him. What is something that everyone looks stupid doing? If it was me alone, it would be dancing. I look totally stupid dancing. What is your most embarrassing moment from high school? Losing a lead in a wrestling match in front of a thousand people. Finally had a big crowd show up. My match could have won the whole meet, and I choked at the end and was and still am embarrassed by my terrible move at the end of the match. So I turned it over to our other good friend, Brian Kelly, to win the match. So it wasn't all bad, but I suffered for it. Okay, fair enough. Here's the last question. You ready? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Probably had a couple of drinks and got, got behind the wheel of a car. That's probably the only thing I have maybe done, maybe, uh, in my past. And uh, if I was, I don't do anything else bad that I think I'd get arrested for. So that would probably be either it or what they would assume it would be. Great. Okay. So I hope that, you know, that helps our listeners get to know you a little bit better or in a different way. For some yeah. people. It makes them want to turn it off, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, it could be. It could be. But a lot of people already know who you are. Could you tell us just a synopsis of the different things you've done with your life, the different occupations you've had, the different businesses? Yeah. As an adult, I started a restaurant uh, with a couple of friends from high school, guys we wrestled with, called the Hinchecks Cafe. We sold that business and got into politics, starting with the city council back in the 80s. Sold the restaurant and moved into politics full-time as uh, the county treasurer, Norfolk County Treasurer. Uh, back in the mid-90s, and then parlayed that into a, an office as state treasurer in 2000. So I was in politics for 25 years, ran for governor in 2010 unsuccessfully, 
So my political career ended relatively young at 51 years old and then got into the finance world. Didn't start any businesses, but I was in a quasi startup as a consultant in the finance, you know, compliance world, which was clearly the most boring job I've ever had in my life. And I looked out and realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And the business kind of didn't go the direction I wanted it to go in. So I came back to my hometown to work as the, uh, the president of the Chamber of Commerce, the Quincy Chamber of Commerce. It's kind of been full circle from business back to business, but instead of it being, you know, sort of my business, I inherited something, but to help other businesses survive. And what I brought to this job that I've had for the last three years is that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and some of the things I learned as a struggling small businessman yeah. and even a struggling small time politician for a long time. I mean, all those lessons that I've taken with me have sort of just, they just keep coming back and they keep returning and you just got to sort of reach back into uh, your memory bank and try to figure out how to get through this crisis. Cause I feel like every decade at least has been a crisis, you know, either in my life or in the world around me you know, the pandemic that we're going through right now is the latest yeah. and greatest. And I like to counsel young people saying, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. We'll get another one. Don't <laughs> worry about it. It'll come, you know, in, in one form or another. So um, all those things have kind of brought me to where I am today. Yeah, we, we grew up in Quincy, Massachusetts, and we're on the football team together in yeah. junior high school. We wrestled on the same team in junior high and in high school. And then shortly after that, I mean, you did a little bit of coaching with the team. And then you started that business you spoke of, Handshakes Cafe, and you were young. I mean, you, you were an entrepreneur when you were just getting through college. And now you're back in Quincy and helping other businesses, large and small. What are the experiences that you had back then that help you in your role now? One thing I forgot to actually tell you is before I started the business, I actually ran for public office. So I was 22 years old. Um, right out of college. That's right. I graduated in June and the election was in September and ran for office. It was the first time I ran. I lost the race. And the guys that I worked with in the campaign, Eddie Graham, Joe Irvine, two of the guys who were wrestlers with us at Quincy High School, we decided we wanted to run our own business and do our own thing. And, and we just looked out and said, I don't want to go in an office and sit there and grind away for the next 20 or 30 years. So that was the impetus of it. Had no idea what we were doing, no business plan, nothing. And just kind of figured it out as we went. And one of the lessons I learned is that you don't have to have a plan necessarily. I didn't. It may be better to have one, but I certainly didn't. But also, you don't need to know what the end game is and, and sort of where you're going to go. It's a cliche, but the journey is kind of what I've taken and learned along the way. And once you get into something, and this goes back to the wrestling days, I just refuse to quit on it or on whatever I'm doing. And, and that's served me well. Sometimes it hasn't served me so well because you, you get bogged down and sometimes maybe you should redirect, maybe not quit. But quitting is not the thing that, that I've ever aspired to do in anything I've done. So you just figure out how to make it. And if you get lucky and you just keep plugging away at it, it, it usually works out. It, it has for me. I don't know if it works out for everyone. It's, it's different, but it, it served me well. It's brought me to places I never thought I'd be. And I've accomplished things that in, you know, I mean, I've been laughed at constantly in my journeys as, oh, you're going to run for statewide office. I mean, who are you? What do you think you're going to do? And I did it. And if I had known, and I say this a lot of times to people who are sort of contemplating 
what to do with their lives. It says, if, if, if you knew how bad it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be, you would never have done it. You would never have tried it. Right. And that goes back to wrestling. It was so hard, but we just kind of kept coming, just kept coming back every day and figuring it out and getting better and getting better. And, and those are life lessons that I took with me that you don't have to know how you're going to get there or even what the end game is. You just keep plowing through. And uh, like I said, it's, it's how we survived, especially the early years at Handshakes. And we didn't, I mean, I didn't know how to make a sandwich. And here I am running a restaurant. Right. Go, um, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the city, Quincy itself, is thriving. And it kind of took a dive at the same time that many other municipalities or urbanized areas on the south shore of Massachusetts kind of declined with the advent of the malls, the mall concept and that type of thing. But Quincy... It got through that and it's thriving and it's also known for helping small business people. I've heard that over and over and over from, from many, many small business people in Quincy that City Hall was really, really stepping up and trying to help people. And you were a ward counselor, you were a counselor at large. Can you speak to that? Can you talk about that culture in Quincy? Well, I think it's, it's a small town culture and it's not just Quincy. It's, there's a lot of places like that, you know, and again, it, it goes, is a blue collar city when we were growing up in it. It still retains a lot of that, but it's certainly changed over the years. And what Quincy has done in some ways defied the skeptics by growing and being willing to change. And I think that's a, a, a key part of life in general is, is being willing to change and being adaptable. I'm still old school and I try to fight progress as much as I can, but eventually I figure it out <laughs> and realize I have to figure it out. You know, one of the reasons I sold my business back in the uh, mid nineties is I, I kind of knew at that point I wasn't going to grow it anymore. And if I couldn't grow it, it, it would not be fun anymore. And it would maybe just go away. So it instilled in me that sort of philosophy that you either grow or you die. I try to continue to grow all the time, either personally or professionally. And that's what we remind people. And the pandemic's been a perfect example of that. You, you have to change and you have to adapt and you have to try to figure things out. Uh, I remember at the beginning of this pandemic back in April, I have an office on the ninth floor and um, things didn't look very good for the chamber. It didn't look good for business. Everyone was shut down. There was no money coming in. I had about a month's worth of cash in my bank account to pay my staff and keep the lights on. And, and uh, I'm glad there was a big, strong window there up on the ninth floor because I would have been tempted just to <laughs> jump right off, you know. It, it looked dark, and all I could think of yeah. is, now I got to do this again? I got to fight through this? I mean, I, I was, we were cruising. We were on to our best year ever. We kind of figured out a model that worked really well for the chamber, and now we had to start over again. And, you know, that despair lasted, I don't know, a day or two, and then just kind of went back into the memory and figured out how I got out of all these other messes I was in all my life by trying to do something that I didn't think I could do. And, and it worked. A year, a year later, we're, we're stronger than we've ever been. The business community is very resilient. And like you said, the support that we've had of, of our government has been very different from, from what I've read and what I've seen of other municipalities where they've sort of branded the business community as the enemy and held them down really? instead of tried to help yeah. them up and, and support them. And that's been a difference maker. And that's why I love the job and I love being home. I mean, I've never left Quincy, which is scary to think that I've been in the <laughs> same town for the, my whole life. And I live about a mile away from where I grew up. And, you know, my whole life has been there. 
but it feels good. It feels right. And, and it's a beautiful community that has a lot to offer in and of itself. And then it's surrounded by the Blue Hills and Quincy Bay, and we're close to Boston. So it's a small town in many ways, but it's, um, we got a lot going for it. And it's very diverse. And, and, you know, you don't feel again, like you're back in the sixties. Like we step back, we actually feel like we're in 2020s. And I'm very optimistic about the future, both my own personal future, but also the city's future as well. Can you share with us one success story? And I'm thank you, first of all, for not using the word pivot. <laughs> yes. Hate that word. Oh, God. It word. should be banned. Yeah. Zoom and pivot. Are the Zoom two. My, and, yeah. Okay. <laughs> those are my two least favorite words right now. So what is one success story you can point to in this crazy time, in this time of the pandemic and COVID and restrictions? Well, there's one, uh, you know, that I read about this morning that's, that we're really close to. It's called, a, it's a brewery, local brewery. They're actually in Braintree right on the line, but they're part of our chamber. And, you know, we've really connected with them and they've connected with us. And I knew that it's been a struggle because they had a tap room and they were just about to grow and we were trying to help them expand, you know, their presence and get into Quincy, physically into Quincy. Uh, their beer is fantastic. It's called Widowmaker Brewery. They do a great job with this new kind of beer that they sell, that they make on their own. And I just read today sort of how they've survived. Their tap room has been closed probably for at least half of the last year. They were making $20,000 a weekend sometimes in that tap room. I mean, it's a huge really? profit maker and people loved it. And all of a sudden you can't have crowds anymore and you can't serve people and you have to have food and they didn't have food. And, but it's funny because, you know, as I read in the story today, Ryan's story, the owner, he realized early when he was trying to get some new copper kettles, those big 30 foot pieces right. of machine that you make the beer in. It was being delayed from China. So he knew there was something going on. This was a year ago. Right. You know, something's going on in China. I uh -huh. can't get them. Yeah. So he immediately ordered three more. Interesting. So he got the three eventually that he ordered and he, and he ordered three more because he knew now he'd have to distribute. And they went from on-site selling to distributing their beer. And now they're distributing all up and down the East Coast. So they expanded beyond their little tiny world. And he's doing better than he was doing before. That's and fantastic. when he's able to reopen a full-time, the tap room, he's going to explode. And, and we played a small part in that because we got them some outdoor space on the water. And they partnered with another restaurant that had been closed down because you couldn't eat indoors. So we eat outdoors. So they had the whole summer of Thursday through Saturday nights on the shores of the Neponset River, outside, yeah. of, outside a hotel. And that's the most recent. And, and I just read that particular story. I mean, I've been following his, their career and their business and been trying to help, but that's something that they did on their own. And okay. it just, again, points out to me the brilliance of the small, of the entrepreneur and, and why this country is so great. Cause there's billions of Ryan Lavery's out there trying to figure out how to start a business. And then when you start it, how to keep it going. And then when something happens like a recession or a pandemic or something, just a hurricane, whatever, you have two choices. You can quit or you can just keep going. Right. Tim, in your life, you've had mentors, I'm sure. Is there one particular mentor that has stood out in your life? And could you tell us about that? Yeah, it's, it's someone that we both know very well. Uh, his name is Carmen Mariano. He was our football coach back in the seventh grade, and he was our wrestling coach for six years, junior high school and high school. And he has, you know, been outside of my immediate family, the most important person in my life. Not much older, about a decade older than, than us. Um, he was young as a young teacher, but we were young kids. And he just, 
gave me the strength and the confidence and the willingness to fight through challenges and understand what the challenges are and try to analyze them and try to figure it out. And you know, I had breakfast with him a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, anytime I talk to him, every time I talk to him, I learn something. Yeah. And he motivates me and inspires me. And if you were to define what a mentor is, that's it. I mean, for the last 50 years, met him in 1971. We're here in 2021. If I ever feel down or I ever feel like I don't think I can get through this one, he'd be the first guy I'd call. Yeah. A young man or woman is just starting out. They have an idea and they want to start a business. What would be one piece of advice that you would definitely pass on to them? Get started. Just do it. I mean, because I, I don't know exactly what the business is or what it needs. When, I, when people are looking to open up a store, I said, find a location. Right. And don't wait for the perfect location. When we started our restaurant, we went through three locations thinking each one was the perfect one. Uh, and each yeah. one fell apart and we ended up in the perfect spot. And then when that place was torn down, we just moved across the street to a, a failed restaurant that had done all the work for us. So we were lucky, but if we had waited for the perfect spot, we never would have got started. And I, I love it. I, yeah. I think people do. They they want to have make sure they have the money. We had no money. We had no guarantee. We we signed a lease without even a loan. We figure it out. If you really believe in it and you believe in yourself and you believe in your idea, whatever that idea is, just do it. I love it, Tim, because you know, when you look at these entrepreneur gurus and they're gonna show you the way and they tell you they have all the secrets that you need to know and Really, it's get started. Yeah, it's, it, there's no secrets. And usually when your back's against the wall, that's the best time to do it. Or when you've been fired from a job or because nothing will take the place of enthusiasm. And if you're enthusiastic about it and you really believe, I mean, our goal was to provide the best food, healthy food and something that people really liked and something different for Quincy back in 1980. There was no place, you know, yeah. that we could eat, yeah. that we like to eat. And that's the other thing is, is whatever you're doing, do it for yourself. If you like it, you're an audience of one. Steve Jobs said a long time ago, and, and there's a lot of really successful people out there, far more successful than me, that says, I want this, and I think the whole world wants it too. Hmm. And they figure out how to do it, and, you know, sometimes it works. And even if it doesn't, I mean, I sold the restaurant after about 10 years, and it was still probably the best experience of my life, you know, and it taught me more than. I ever would have learned anywhere else. So even though I didn't make a million dollars on it and, you know, didn't open up a hundred stores and didn't become a legend, it was still a fantastic experience. Right. The bad times are the times you generally remember the most and you remember fondly. Quick story. First year in, we decided during the holidays, we'd make pies. We bakery and cafe and we'd make pies. And then all of a sudden we got all these orders. We never even made the pies before. We didn't sell pies but we made muffins and breads and things. So we figured we can make pies. And next thing you know, we realized we've got like 150 orders for pies and it's like four, you know, it's Thanksgiving's the next day and it's like five in the evening and we're, we're not even halfway through. So we just went through the whole night. We didn't stop. We didn't sleep. We just kept going. And woke the next morning when people came in, the pies were ready. And my partner, one of my partners, Eddie Graham, guy I started with every day for the last, I don't know, 20 years, the day before Thanksgiving, he texts me and says, pie day. And that just reminds me <laughs> what it was like to, to do that. And again, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We just 
we, and the orders yeah. kept coming in. We don't want to turn them down. Next thing you know, we had overcommitted to what we could do. And the only way to, to solve it and to come up with it is just stay up and just keep making. So I was peeling apples. I must have peeled a thousand <laughs> apples that day. And I'll never forget how my fingers felt. Yeah. And it was a horrible day that I will never forget. And it inspires me to this day. Jim, you have written a book back in 1980? Ni- mid-90s, yeah. 95. Oh, mid-90s. You yep. wrote a book called Profiles in the American Dream. I want to ask you to come back and do another episode with me so we can dive a little bit deeper into that. But I wanted to let everybody know that that's a fantastic book. You kind of repurposed it into a podcast where you have some uh, great Quincy entrepreneurs and small business people talking about their success stories. And that's called Profiles in the American Dream as well. But what's next? I know you have a couple of projects coming up. Can you tell us about them? You know, besides my day job, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is to update the book, Profiles in the American Dream, to take what I wrote about the, the stories of each of the four entrepreneurs and then add a couple at the end to bring the story, which ended in the mid 80s up till today. Right. And, and I've interviewed a couple of folks, a restaurateur named Jimmy Liang and a, a businesswoman named Megan Driscoll, and thought I had everything I needed to add those chapters and update the book. And it happens a lot. You reprint of the book uh, to bring it up to date. But now, you know, I interviewed him before the pandemic, and right. now we've added a different struggle to it, which really is motivating me to get back into it and dig deep and try to finish that, that story and, and get it out again. And with technology today, you can audio book it, you yeah. can podcast it, you can print on demand. So I'm excited about it. I have been delayed in getting it done because of the pandemic, but I'm more motivated than I was before. And that hopefully will be what's next. Well, great. Then we'll wait for that to come out and then I'll have you come back in and we can talk about the, the original version and how it morphed yeah. into the, to the new Sounds version. Sounds great. Tim, it's been great having you here. Thanks for driving all the way out to the middle of nowhere and telling us a little bit about your story. It's been a pleasure having you here. And thanks again for coming on 15 Minutes Off. I'm enjoying it very much. From Sterling to Sterling. Sterling Junior High is where we oh, met. Yeah, that's right. And now we're here in Sterling, Mass, and it couldn't be a, a better fit. Muhammad Ali said that. Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. To anyone that knows him, Tim is a father, husband, entrepreneur, problem solver, business mentor, and some might even say overachiever. Whether in business or in public service, it's his fascination with overcoming struggle and making difficult concepts a reality that creates the most value for him and those that he serves. Self-described as old-fashioned, Tim has always pulled from the past to form the future, and in doing so, he preserves the best parts of it. The desire for a better life for families and society, the vision to see it clearly, the passion to persist in the face of overwhelming obstacles, and the heart to stay the course, even when all seems lost. Tim has paid the rent and will likely never stop being a tenant. I'm Dan Tebow. 15 Minutes Of is a production of my company, Fast Twitch Media, which, by the way, was the result of a brainstorming session I had with Tim when we both were desperate for new challenges. I count myself lucky to have been his friend for all these years.